Thank you, Lydia. I hope you do realize Jesus is more than enough. He's all you need. And if he's all you need, you'll grow weary of holding it in. And you'll have to share him. Amen? Are we awake? Hope you're not sleeping this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the last part of what we began last week, verses 6 through 10. This sermon is titled, Peddlers, Philosophers, and Psychiatrists, Part 2. Um, many of you, no doubt, have, have seen famous salesmen and peddlers and things like that before. Uh, one of my favorite is, is found on Green Acres. It's called Mr. Haney, and I'm not allowed to do my impersonation of him today, but maybe catch me another time and I'll do it for you. Um, but he's one of those, those, I mean, he always had something to sell, didn't he? Um, and now we, we still see that today. I don't know how many times you get a knock on the door and, you know, somebody comes up and says, Hey, Hey, I'd like to, I'd like to sell you some solar panels or, you know, you, you need these bug treatments, you know, only I can get rid of the bugs from around your house or only I can, you know, there's something and, you know, most peddlers, they sell goods that sometimes are pretty good, right? Um, and even those that are trying to just make money, they're, they're fairly harmless. But these ones that are peddling religious information, Paul deemed to be an extreme danger to the church here in Colossae. We know this because the scripture teaches us that the product of the false teachers is more deadly than a cobra's venom. We saw that last week. So we must be alert, we must compare the message of what they say to the Word of God and to see if it's true. Paul went so far in Galatians to, to talk about this false teaching, and I quoted this verse last week, it's Galatians 1.8, Paul writes, but if even we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be Condemned to hell is the, the wording. I mean, it says accursed, but that's what it means, okay? Paul, in this passage, is encouraging Christians to get answers from Christ alone. The song she just sang is about, he's enough, he's all you need. I, I roll back in my mind as, as we sing, blessed be your name. I remember my own kids playing that on guitar. It's like one of the first songs you learn to play on the guitar, you know. And so they're playing that, and, and we sing that. And that, that song comes from the passage of Scripture in the book of Job, you know, when Job has lost everything. And they come and say, well, what do you think about God now? And he says, you know, what, what shall I do? Blessed be the God who gives and takes away. Blessed be his name. It doesn't matter if you have much or you have nothing. If you have him, you have all you need. Blessed be his name. Paul wanted them to understand that. You're not to be seeking some satisfaction outside of Christ. So I want us to look at how we can overcome the world's solutions to life's problems. You know, the world has many solutions, and Paul addresses those. In the, in the first five verses of this text, Paul was concerned that the Colossians would have their minds and their hearts misled by persuasive arguments. It was Paul's love 
It was Paul's longing to see them grow in the grace of Christ that drove him to help the church at Colossae. As he writes this letter, he began by cheering them on. He, you know, last week you could almost hear in his voice, come on, be disciplined. Come on, be stable. Stay firm to the rock. You can do it. That's my encouragement to you today, church. That's how you understand the mystery of the gospel. Be firm, be steady, be disciplined and stable. Before we look at this passage, I want us to pray, and I hope you'll listen, because he instructs the church, how am I to be disciplined? How do I stay stable? Well, he answers his own question here. Let's pray with me, if you would. Father, we come before you this morning. We give you thanks and praise. You're a holy and glorious God. Oh God, there's none like you. None. God, as high as the heavens and the stars and the, the galaxies soar your ways far above ours. God, we don't know you unless you reveal yourself to us. And God, you have done that through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And God, you do that through the power of your spirit, which indwells the heart and life of each believer. And God, that spirit reveals to us the truth of your word as it unfolds the mystery of this gospel we see. God, teach us according to your word and your truth. God, I pray that you would, God, keep me from, from allowing my opinions and thoughts to enter in. God, help people to only hear your word and allow your spirit to speak to them through your word. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand with me as we read Colossians 2, beginning in verse 6 through 10. It says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus... The Lord so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You may be seated. <clears throat> Paul is really answering in this text today that's followed the one we talked about last week. He's answering his own question or his own instruction, be disciplined and be stable. Now, before we get started, I have a question for you. Does God ask you to do something in Scripture that he will not empower you to do? No, absolutely not. Can you do it in your own strength is the question. And the answer is, no, I cannot. You must be indwelt by the Spirit of God, which means you must know Christ as your Savior and Lord if you have any hope of being obedient to the Word. That's why I've told you before, people who try to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and they're just like, I can do this, I'm going to will myself to be a better person, they don't have salvation because you can't do it in your own strength. And those people who say, well, I'll just add a little bit of Jesus and I don't want to change my life because I'll just rely on the grace and I'll abuse this grace, they likely don't have salvation at all either. Why? Because the Bible commands us to do two things and they're tied together, repent and believe. You do not have one without the other. You cannot have belief in this, this Christ 
with no change in your life. It's impossible. Just keep studying Scripture. You'll find it over and over and over again. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. There's many scriptures. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's about seeking him first. It's about turning over your life, denial of self, right? So he, he's asking them, be disciplined and be stable. If we're honest today, most of us could use some improvement in our spiritual walk, right? I mean, if I said, hey, anybody? Is that you? Can you use something? You know, could you do... Could, could you depend on God to help you get better? My hand would be the first to go up. But how do we get there? How do we be disciplined and stable? Oftentimes we hear a sermon. It's like, well, that's great. I'm supposed to do this, but how do I do it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Number one, how do I be disciplined and stable? If you're taking notes, just write down walk in him. It's right there in the text, verse 6. Walk in him just as you received. Question. How did you receive Christ? By faith, right? Repentance and faith. So did you depend on yourself at all? No. So if you're going to be disciplined and stable, you continually depend on him. This is a walk of faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. This is a walk of faith. And it takes time. I don't know how many of you have you've seen someone, maybe in a, in a church, and you go, man, that is a godly person. I, I hope, I hope I, I'm like that. I, in fact, I want to be like that tomorrow, right? That's usually, that was my thought. Why can't I be like that right now? And my granddad used to tell me, because you eat the elephant one bite at a time, right? So is your walk with Christ. If you want to be like Christ, it happens one day at a time. You're going to take a step today, the step that God asks of you, and you're going to walk in faith that day. And then one day, you'll look up 30, 40 years down the road, and you should look back and you should say, wow, look how far God has brought me. That's one of the reasons we need to be involved in a local body of believers that the Bible calls the church, because other believers see the change in you that sometimes you don't see, and we need that encouragement to say, I see it. I see what God is doing in you. And that gives us encouragement to continue all the more in this walk with Christ. One step at a time, be disciplined and stable. Paul also wrote in Philippians 1, 6, I am sure of this. He who began a, a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Listen to that verse. Be real careful. We walk in him one day at a time. But Paul writes, I am sure of this. What's he sure of? That he who began a good work, who began a good work? Christ began a good work in you, in me. And he said, and you're gonna have, you'll just pull yourself up and do it on your own and you'll complete the work. That's not what he said. He said, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete that work. When will the work be completed? At the day of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means when he returns. How many of you get frustrated like, man, I just can't, I just, I'm, I'm not where I want to be. I get frustrated like that all the time. And I have to be reminded, it will be completed one day. 
But I need to walk in him today. Walk in him today. Well, what else does he say? Not only are we to walk in him, we're to be firmly rooted in him. Number two, firmly rooted in him. Firmly rooted in who? The person of Jesus Christ, of course. Question, who is Jesus Christ? He has many titles. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. He told us, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John, down in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, that of the only begotten of the Father. He is the Word. If you hadn't figured it out, this book is about Him, not you. Have you, have you figured that out yet? A lot of times we're like, hmm, I've known, I've known people all my life. They're like, they're just searching the scriptures. And you know what they're looking for? Oh, it says I can do this because I want to. Oh, oh, well, it, it says this over here so I can justify this behavior. Now, quit reading this book as if it's about you. Read this book as if it's about God, Christ in the flesh, because that's who it's about. And if you focus on that, then what you find is you start rooting yourself into Christ. You're going, wow, it is about His Word. Listen to Psalm 119, 9 through 16. It says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your Word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. By the way, that's one of the key verses that the kids will learn in Awana, Psalm 119.11. As I keep going, it says this. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare of all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as, as, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Huh, scripture memory must be important, right? Why? Scripture memory embeds the word of God in us so that we don't sin against God. And you say, well, yeah, sin, God's always about these rules, right and wrong. He doesn't want me to have any fun. Have you not figured out yet that when God says, thou shall not do this, it's for your protection? And when he says, thou shalt do this, or make disciples or do this, it's so that you can enjoy the goodness of God and be a part of what he's doing? Be careful that you study and learn and grow in the word of God and you begin to do it. That's what it means to be firmly rooted in him. Question for you. If, if they were to name this one faith council, you know, like you've seen that going on in our, our world. They're trying to merge a lot of the faiths, try to get, help them get along. And suppose you were put on a panel and you got to represent Christianity and every one of them was told, you come up here, don't bring any of your sacred writings, no scriptures, no nothing. Let me ask you this. Could you defend Christianity? Could you even present it? 
That's a serious question. Did you know not so long ago in our churches, back over 100 years ago, maybe, maybe a little more than 100 years ago, you were, you were declared a derelict father if you could not teach your kids the scriptures. The church would call you that. They would discipline you for not being able to train your own family. And yet, many of us, many of us, I'm afraid, are not firmly rooted in the Word of God, as we should be. Firmly rooted here is a reference to a tree planted by a stream. I don't know, if you've ever studied about the root systems of trees, you know, you see these massive branches. My wife and I go walking in Landa Park almost every day during the week, and and then sometimes we went hiking yesterday, and just, we saw some massive trees by the streams. And they say that as far out as those branches go, so under the ground the root system goes out just as far, sometimes farther. So maybe the point is, shouldn't the part that people see of your walk with Christ, should the other part maybe be as broad or even broader? But oftentimes we want people to think the best of us, so we put on this facade or this show. And what's behind the scenes is not nearly as deep. That's what he's talking about, being rooted in Christ. He is the living water, right? That's running by these streams, that's furnishing the nourishment. Listen to Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the streams, and he does not fear when the heat comes. For it, its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Think about that. We are declared to be like a tree, we're to be rooted in Christ, so that what? In the midst of a drought, there's fruit being, we bear the fruit, right? Still, why? Because Christ is that source. That's where we're rooted. Would you say there's a spiritual famine in our nation? Shake your head like this, the answer is yes. Is there a spiritual famine in the church? Shake your head like this. We are all distracted. We do not spend time in the study and the rooting in of God's Word as we should. Study the Word of God. Be rooted in Him. Then he goes on. So not only are we walk in Him, to be rooted in Him, he gives another command here in verse 6, be built up in Him. This is talking about the growth. So if you walk one day at a time with Christ... You're rooted in him and the word of God and his teaching. The natural result is the growth to be built up in Christ. Christian growth. And it takes time. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 say this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As a Christian, you are built up and established in Christ. In other words, 
I don't know if you've ever seen a stone building. I mean, they, they used to have them all over the place. I mean, just beautiful structures made with stones of different shapes. I mean, some were big and some were small. But if you, if you picture one of those homes or one of those houses or structures, the foundation is laid, the cornerstone, Christ. And then the first row of stones would be the apostles and the prophets and, and those who went before us. And we take our place that God is building this picture of a house as a testimony. And, and so he's building this structure, and we are built upon that. And God uses you to also build up his church as well. Your personal growth has a direct result with the growth of the church. Scripture also says here in that text in Ephesians 2 that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? And it takes time for growth to happen and, and that growth to mature. And, and, and it takes discipline. You know, you don't just sign up and go out and run a marathon race today because you decide, hey, I think I'm just going to run a marathon, right? What would happen? You would throw up. You would need to go to the hospital, likely, and, and get some fluids um, after mile two or one. I don't know how far you could go. I remember a time back when I took a job. Um, maybe you, you remember when you took a, a job early on and, and you were trying to establish yourself. You were trying to, man, I want to get established here. I want to I get going. Does your company trust you immediately? No, they do not. It takes time to prove yourself, right? You got to prove, hey, I know what I'm doing here. You know, it, it, I took one job at a company and they were in a critical point and, and I was working in IT and we were, we, were, we were getting away from one product and headed to another and we hadn't even developed a system for this other. And by the way, they decided, oh, why don't you write it in this piece of software that you don't know anything about. So just learn it and learn the business all at one time was what I had to do. You know our motto the first year was sink or swim? Because if we sunk, our company was going down. The motto the next year, because we actually survived, was ready, fire, aim. Now think with me if you about that. You know, if you're a firearm safety guy, that's really not a good method, right? Ready, fire, aim. Don't be paralyzed, just move. But, you know, it, I, I spent several months, it took me nearly three months and probably 100 hours a week to get established and become trusted in that company just so I could function, okay? And there's a whole other story to that. I probably shouldn't have done that, okay? I probably shouldn't have taken that method to get there. But here's the deal. Our life with Christ, when we're born, we begin to realize we have eternal life, but we're just starting to grow. And it takes an investment of time, both personally, alone with the Lord, but with his people, if you want to grow into a person of God who is trusted for to, to be built upon that foundation of the church so it's built up so others can lay themselves on that same foundation, that, that teaching. And each person is critical to the success of the body of Christ. Next time you see an old rock church building, I want you to, I just, or, or just a rock building at all, I want you to think, what if it was missing a whole row of, of stones? <laughs> you know, it's coming down, right? And so when we think about the importance of each person in the body of Christ, think about that. You are critical to the growth and to the development 
of God's church, he uses you to grow not only yourself, but others around you. Being built up in Christ means being built up in his body. You must have others to grow. I've heard so many people say, well, I have a personal, private relationship with Christ. Name one person in the New Testament who remained private in their walk with Christ and never had to endure any difficulty. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't think of any either. The ones that were plugged into the church, they're, they're, you know, they were martyred. They endured hardship and suffering. But guess what? The name of Christ went forth. That's what I want you to get here. Luke 6, 47 through 49, Jesus telling a story. It's told in another one of the Gospels as well. We sing a children's song about it as well. It says this, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred and the torrent burst against the house and it could not shake it because it had been well built, but the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like the man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. The guy who built on the sand, the other gospel says, and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. You can hear it now, right? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built... You know, and get this, whether it's, whether it's built on the rock or the sand, notice in Jesus' teaching, the same storm came to both. Storms come in life. The difference is whether you stand or whether you fail is not based on you. It's based on what you're anchored to. Christ, the rock, the only foundation of the church. And so, verse 7, he's like, hey, you're going to be built up in him. You walk in him. You're rooted in him. You're built up in him. And the next thing we find out is the result Verse 7, look, look with me there, the latter part of it. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's the result. Hey, I am walking in him, rooted in him, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, and now you're abounding in thanksgiving. That is the result. If you want to see someone who's walking with Christ, there's a heart of thanksgiving. And that's one of those amen or oh me verses, right? Amen, I think I can do that. Or, oh me, that's not me. I, I tend to lean towards grumbling and complaining. And I've had some oh me moments this week. I'm just going to confess to you. I was not, I didn't have a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude. Part of our, our discipline and training is that we live out with a heart of gratitude. Question, how many of you like exercise? Yeah, yeah, some of you. How many of you like to just go, I mean... How many of you like to go run five miles? Let's go. I mean, crazy people like that, right? I mean, we walk. I walk every day. I, I grew up, and I was always the big boy. And I know that shocks y'all. But anyway, I didn't like running long distances because it took a lot more work. And I was like, well, in physics, it says work equals force times distance. Uh, I'm doing more work than everybody else because I'm bigger. 
was my mentality. But I didn't like it. But here's what I did like. When I got done exercising for long periods of time, even though I was exhausted, I felt better. You been there? Yeah. This is what discipline and a stable walk with life produces. It is hard work. It's a disciplined work, and it takes effort, but the result is a heart of gratitude that is satisfied in Christ and Him alone. That's what it is. When the storms of life come, you're like, well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to endure and push through this one. But guess what? I'm satisfied because Christ is enough. Because on, on Christ's solid rock I stand, right? All other ground is sinking sand. Yeah, it's, it's one of the, you know, all these songs t- tend to come back to your mind. Listen, gratitude, and this is, this is one thing that I think our culture does not get. You might want to write it down. Gratitude does not come from our accomplishments. Gratitude does not come from our accomplishments. I mean, we do something, and, <clears throat> and I'm the first one to tell you, I'll, I'll finish mowing my lawn. I'm like, yeah, it's done. That looks good. I like it. And I want my wife. I was like, baby, some, somebody did a good job with this lawn, didn't they? And she's like, yeah, it looks pretty good. I'm like, What? Are you kidding me? This looks fantastic. But gratitude, gratitude should not come from our accomplishments. Where should it come from? Real gratitude comes from knowing that Jesus is enough. That's what you need to write down. Real gratitude comes from knowing Jesus is enough. So whether you're, whether you're having a great day, you get a new job, you know, you get a big raise, or whether you get laid off, you get fired, you find out you got cancer, or, or you're on your deathbed. Knowing Jesus is enough brings gratitude. You're getting to see that picture well through your pastor. Take notes from him. He's a man filled with gratitude. Psalm 28, verse 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. Listen to this text today. Walk in Christ, be rooted in Christ, be built up in Christ. What's the common denominator? Christ. He's the prize. Life is going to be difficult. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't stop, does it? And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, there's difficulty along the way, but He is with you. And back up before the command of the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples, and I'll be with you. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, he said, right? And I'm with you. He's enough. How does your life display gratitude towards the Lord? Next in this text, there's a warning that gets issued, and it's this in verse 8. Don't become a slave. To what? To the world. Verse 8. Don't become a slave. 
he's issuing a warning. See to it that no one takes you captive. See to it that no one makes you a slave. Paul would later write in Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. He's talking about sin. Sin enslaves you. You were born a slave to sin. There's only two choices in this world. You will either be a slave to sin or you will be a slave to Christ. There's no middle ground. So, it was for freedom that Christ set you free and now you're tied to him. Quit going back to that old life. He came to to die not only for your sin, he came to die to set you free from it. And so Paul's issuing a warning. Don't become a slave to the world. Well, what are we a slave to? He lists a few things here. I'm going to give them to you. Don't become a slave to the philosophy of the day or deceit. Philosophy means beliefs or a way of thinking or loving wisdom. Would you not say that our culture thinks they're wise? Yeah, they do. They've got all the answers. Ask them. They'll tell you. You know, it's not evil to seek wisdom, but it becomes evil when men seek wisdom apart from Christ. When he's not enough, it's wrong. Here it describes a man Man's attempt to find out his own through his own intellect and reach things that can be known. You remember I told you they were battling Gnosticism? It's the gaining of knowledge to reach a deity, to, to appease a deity. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For their foolishness to him, he cannot understand them. If you're listening and getting your philosophy from TV and your favorite news station, you're hearing it from the wrong source. Here's your source. Go back to it. It gives you a lot of instruction. You're like, yeah, I know, because it it agrees with what I believe. Nope. I promise you, there's some things in this, this book. If you read it, you'll find it may not fit your political platform. I'm sorry. Because it says to be kind to foreigners. What are those people? Those are people coming across the border. Oh, well, that's not my platform. Oh, oh, oh. I'm, I, I'm, I'm picking on you a little, right? But if we, if we let some wise philosophy set our agenda, we miss what the instruction of the Word of God says. And the Word of God tells us how to treat people, right? Amen or oh me. It says don't murder. Well, that one I can get behind, right? Make sure this is your standard and not man. Well, he also talks about not only a philosophy, he talks about empty deceit. What is that? What he's referring to? He's talking about the false teachings of the day who deem that they have secret truths to offer. Oh, if you'll just come listen to me, I will give you enlightenment, right? He appeals to their vanity by making them members of the select few that will have this enlightened knowledge. Have we seen that in our culture? You roll back the clock, Reverend Sung uh, Young Moon, uh, David Koresh, guy by the name of Joseph Smith, you know, Islam. There, there's, all these, there's all these religions of the world that deem that they have these secret truths and they're apart from Christ. If you haven't figured it out yet, 
God's word's under attack. And Christ is under attack. There is a battle going on. Don't give in and become a slave to the philosophy of the day. Just say, oh, it won't matter. It does matter. It does matter. Hold fast, hold firm to the truths of God's word. What philosophy of the day have you bought into that's not scriptural? A lot of times we think something is scriptural because we've heard it enough. But we've not read enough out of the word of God. It is not okay for people to believe what they want about God if he hasn't said it. Knowing information or feeling God is not enough. And truth is just simply not relative. It's absolute. Well, what else does he say? Don't become a slave to the traditions of men or worldly principles. Traditions of men means religious teachings invented by men. These are people who, who gave the appearance of being very godly people. If you remember the teachings of what the Pharisees did, right? You I mean the Pharisees were really good with the law. In fact, Jesus said, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees, you've got no hope of entering the kingdom of God. Uh-oh. They knew the law, didn't they? I mean, they had it down to the point where they, were, they, they had all these laws about the Sabbath so that when Jesus came along and he healed someone on the Sabbath, they're like, oh no, you can't do that. That's against the laws of the Sabbath. Did you know they had some laws with the Sabbath that were so minute and minuscule that God did not give, that you were limited on the number of steps you could take away from your home on the Sabbath? You know what they did? They were really smart, though. They knew they could get around this law. You know how they did it? Well, let's see. Today is day before the Sabbath, and tomorrow I know I've got to go over there. And so if I'll leave my toothbrush here and my home is here, then anywhere I have a possession can be deemed my home so I can walk so many steps here and pick up my toothbrush. And now this is my home. And now I can walk this many steps over here. They had it down to that kind of an art. They could create their own laws and then break them. These are what we call the traditions of men and worldly principles. They appear to be good, but they are very ungodly at the core. Question. This isn't a problem anymore, um, but it used to be a problem years ago. Do any, any of you know why we meet at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning? Do you know the church established 11 a.m. as the time to meet because the farmers needed to have time to do their chores and they could get there by 11? That's the only reason. That's the, if you go study church history in America, that's why we meet at 11 o'clock. Like, well, I never knew. why. It's what we've always done. We've got to meet at 11. You know churches have argued over meeting times? Silly isn't it? We've, we've, got to, we've got to push aside traditions of men and focus on the Word of God. You see, the important part is being focused on Christ and not anything else. No doubt you've heard this before, and that, you know, the basic principles of the world you know, offer us rituals, Jewish rituals, ceremonies, ordinances in which people hope to find favor with God, and you've heard it said, hey, nothing's free. You know, 
And that is true. Even, even in the, in, when it comes to salvation, salvation was not free. It cost Jesus his life, right? So it was not, but it's free to you, right? For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works. It is the gift of God. You don't pay a dime for it, right? It is free to you, but it cost Christ his life. And Paul reminds them of that. Look in verse 9 and 10 as we conclude. He's indicating Jesus Christ, in him you are made complete. Okay? He's like, look, you need to be disciplined. You need to be stable. Here's how you do it. Walk in him. Be rooted in him. Grow in him. Have a heart of gratitude. Oh, by the way, don't get deceived and pulled into this this deception of the world. They're going to try to philosophize you. They're going to try to trick you. They're going to even try to get you to create some traditions, some religious traditions. But listen, it is Christ who is the head of the church. Not the pastor. Not a deacon. Not anyone else. Not the person that lives the longest or has the most money or, you know, whatever. Whatever criteria. He is the head over the church. He had power over all creation. We saw that, didn't we? Not in chapter 1. He is in charge. So Paul is reminding him, you are complete because of Christ and nothing else. Be a slave to Christ and find complete joy and thankfulness in Him. few questions before we go are you deceived by the world around you today you know the the view of modernism that worldview says i feel or i think i have i've been in churches and i've been in bible studies i've led bible studies and and i'll i'll be going through here and and i'll ask a question and somebody invariably will raise their hand and say well i feel or i think and, and I'm real quick, and I mean, I'll listen to what they have to say, and, and hopefully it's tied to the Word of God, and I'll say, yeah, you feel or think that way because God's Word says it. But if it's out of line with God's Word, I'll have to say, well, where in God's Word do we see that? Because if it's not in God's Word, it's not good enough to think or feel something. The postmodern worldview tells us that truth is relative. <clears throat> I have my truth, you have your truth, I'm okay, you're okay. You believe the way you want, I'll believe the way I want. We're all meeting in the same place. Except Jesus said that wasn't true, right? He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Ask yourself, what does God's word say about this? Challenge every belief that you have, everything that you hear compare it to the word of God is your Christian walk consistent with the word of God is it characterized by discipline and stability that's rooted only in Christ that's being built up in Christ does it handle the storms of life does your heart filled with gratitude when those things happen or do you question him because you don't get what you want remember a lot of us are going around, we're seeking blessings, and we find our satisfaction in the blessings, and that's the way it should be if Christ is the blessing. 
You see, if Christ is the blessing, it doesn't matter what happens to us in this world. That's why Paul would write, for me to live as Christ and to die is so much better. Do you need to begin a walk with Christ today? You know, the Word of God teaches us that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You and I were born in sin, separated from a holy God. We inherited sin. Nobody had to teach you how to do it. You were born in that sin and you were separated from a holy God. But while you were still in that sin, God demonstrated his love for you in this. What? He sent Christ to die in your place, to take the full wrath of God. God poured out his wrath on sin on Christ and he shed his blood and he died. He was buried and raised on the third day. And the word of God calls you to repent and believe in that message. Why? Because the payment for sin is death, and Jesus paid for it on the cross, but the free gift of God is eternal life through him, through Christ Jesus. Won't you turn from that sin and trust him if you haven't? Those of you who have, I pray that you find that Jesus is enough for you today. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We give you thanks and praise. You're a good and holy God. God, I thank you for this church and this people God, all of us need our, our beliefs challenged. God, we are so inundated, God, with media and messages, God, that are not from you. God, help us to turn to you and find all that we have and all that we are can be satisfied only in Christ. God, we thank you that he's enough. God, do with during this time of response, what you will, according to your plan, and God help us to respond to you in obedience. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Please stand with me, heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want you to take a few moments to respond to what God has asked of you this morning. I'll be waiting here at the front. Brother Gary's down here as well if you need to talk or pray with him. Um, this altar's open, and I pray that you find Christ enough today.